Welcome to the Rogue Moment Podcast presented by Callaway. Callaway used rogue thinking to innovate and design the number one driver in golf. And we're proud to welcome into our Callaway Rogue Moment Podcast one of the most influential people, certainly in music, but maybe in all of entertainment. Variety recently referred to him as a mega manager and said if you asked any music veteran who has been the biggest mogul in the space over the last three decades, it's unlikely that the first name uttered would not be Irving Azoff. He has represented some of the biggest names in music, uh, run huge record labels, as well as Live Nation, the world's largest live entertainment company, even before its merger with Ticketmaster, which he oversaw. If it involves music, chances are that Irving Azoff has had a hand in it, and he is also a passionate golfer who has played many of the greatest courses in the world, which obviously makes him a perfect guest for the Rogue Moment podcast presented by Callaway. Irving, thanks so much for doing this with us. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for calling. I'm sitting here on my deck at the beautiful Gazer Ranch Golf Club in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, Discovery's highest-ranked golf course. I think we're like uh, 28 or 30, something like that, in the uh, Golf Digest uh, magazine. And it, it gives me a whole perspective and allows me to, uh, to sit here and reminisce with you and think about my career. Um, I think the key to it is I've just land, lasted longer than anyone else. Um, I've been doing this nearly 50 years, um, and everything for you know for me has uh, started with my love of music and my love of representing uh, musicians. Um, most notably, um, you know I'm connected with the Eagles, who I've managed for nearly 50 years, and it just uh, it just gets better. Um, you know, one thing that I always tell all the people that that we work with and all my colleagues, whether it be in the management business or one of our other businesses, is that uh, if you always do what's right for for the artist, it'll eventually be right for your business. Um, And it's kind of fitting uh, that we talk about Rogue because with everything that's gone on in the music industry through these many decades, um, it is the Rogue music business. Well, that's the theme of our Rogue Moment podcast presented by Callaway to learn about the unconventional outside-the-box moments or thinking that may have been pivotal in the lives of our guests. And it seems to me that you've been so successful specifically because that has been, seems, your general philosophy throughout your career. Your approach to your clients and the businesses that you've run has often been unique or rogue. Is that something that happened organically, or was it a specific part of the plan in how you approach things? Um, you can't be afraid, uh, you know, and especially, you know, when, when, when you're a manager, which is, which I can, you know, somebody says, what's your occupation? I, you know, I say, I don't, you know, I don't say businessman. I go, I, I'm, I'm a manager. Uh, but what you really are is you're the CEO of each of those entertainers, individual businesses. Um, and, you, and you're in a business that is rapidly changing, but there are no rules and there is no right way to do it. Um, you know, I, I would say that through my career, uh, rogue didn't work so well in corporate life, but it works well in everything else. <laughs> um, and it, and it's what we do and how we do it. Um, and I, I will say if we didn't kind of go rogue when we tried to put Ticketmaster and Live Nation together, uh, it wouldn't have happened. Okay. And that merger is something that I'm really proud of because it's, 
that's led to a company, the current Live Nation, that um, has greatly uh, impacted worldwide how people see live music. Um, and, you know, over the last, you know, five years, it's exploded um, to where live is more important, um, you know, even than recorded at this point, you know, and, the, um, and, it, and it keeps going, you know. But, you know, when you talk about Rogue, um, and, you know, when you said to me, you know, what's your Rogue moment, I guess you'd have to say the Rogue moment was when we got subpoenaed in front of the House and Senate um, antitrust committees. Um, and the one at the Senate got, got, got really heated. Um, you know, for those of, you that are, those of you that are fans of music and you go back and, you, you, you know, you read about it and you look at it, we had the, the misfortune of bad timing. Um, we had a, a glitch at Ticketmaster, and when we put some ticket, when we put Bruce Springsteen's shows up for sale um, at, in, in New Jersey, um, it automatically sent some people to a secondary site, and there was a major press of people uh, and the, the lovely Senator Chuck Schumer from um, New York, uh, who we thought was uh, a fan and a friend, uh, seized the moment to really, uh, to really roast me on a hot seat in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, and he kept, he kept you know, asking and asking about it. And I just, I thought, he said, well, Senator, I'll sell the company. Uh, and, uh, and he said, uh, um, something to the lines of, uh, I didn't ask you to sell the company. And I said, no, I'll sell it to you. And he said, well, I can't afford to buy it. And I said, well, I'll sell it to you for a dollar. <laughs> and, it, and it shut him up. Um, but, it, but it was a, a, a testy rogue moment, you know, and it took us nearly, feels like a year and a half now to get that merger approved. Um, and uh, it, it really opened my eyes to uh, what can happen when you go rogue. Um, I can go on and on about um, anecdotes and rogue moment stories with um, wonderful clients like Joe Walsh, who um, one of the first times that he and I were together, uh, he ended up in the passenger seat of a car driven by Keith Moon, which was driven through the front plate glass window of a hotel. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> well, you know, the entire music world, just by its nature, seems to fall under the category of rogue because it's constantly changing, constantly being disrupted. And that's just on the artist side, the performance side. But if you think about everything else around it, you know, streaming, music rights, which you're very much involved in, all of that, this is an industry that seems to be disruptive 24-7, that everything is changing on a daily basis. You know, uh, through my 50 years in the career, every time we had a technology change, I guess uh, w with the exception of the 8-track, which nobody this, this listening to this probably remembers, up until that, every time we had a technology change, when it went from um, glass records to vinyl records, vinyl records to cassette, cassette to CD, um, it, it was great for the industry and the economic fortunes of artists and the companies and the business um, improved. You know, when the digital revolution hit, um, you know, and when, you know, companies like Napster and YouTube, it destroyed the economics of the business. Um, and we've been through a really rough decade coming back from that. And, you know, now with companies like Apple and Spotify and streaming coming around, you know, I couldn't have dreamed that 
that I'd be walking down the street, you know, with a device, you know, slightly bigger than my hand, and that would be my phone and my complete music library. Um, and what that's allowed to happen is, um, you know, it's allowed artists to reach, you know, niche fans, and, and everybody can find an audience easier, and it's exploded interest um, in music. Um, and I think it's, and you know, I go to an Eagles or a Fleetwood Mac show now, there's three generations of people. So, you know, the streaming of music has, um, you know, look, it's harder to make a, a financial living in music for a new artist now, but, but the odds of finding an audience are much greater. So it's been um, it's been an it's been an incredibly fruitful and good time, and we're you know we're and we're just you know kind of rounding first base on this. You know, it's 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 really going well. You're listening to the Rogue Moment podcast presented by Callaway. Our guest is the legendary music icon Irving Azoff. Let's talk about the Eagles. I was watching that great documentary on them a couple of days ago, um, and and sort of sort of know how you got together. But for the purposes of our conversation how did you first get involved with the eagles was it through joe walsh um no re- really i i um i was i was an, a manager agent i i grew up in, in downstate illinois I went to the university of illinois in champaign i quit school and moved to california took a job as an agent and then took a job as a manager at uh, the geffen roberts management company and the eagles were in their early years um you know and and um i was managing Three artists: Dan Fogelberg, Ario Speedwagon, and Joe Walsh. Um, and that's where 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 we met the Eagles. And um, you know, it just uh, it just clicked. You know, to to draw the parallel to golf, um, Glenn Fry introduced me to golf. Um, and then you know, through the years, uh, you know, Don Henley would be uh, um, couldn't you know he was couldn't figure out took him took him a while to figure out you know the routing got strange after Glenn and I really got avid you know avid golfing you know desires and he, he would say I don't understand why we stay in all these golf resorts on our days off but um <laughs> golf kind of kept uh it kept it lively and it kept it going you know I, we we miss Glenn terribly um you know but you know Glenn you know, People may not realize what a passionate golfer Glenn Fry was and how much he he loved the game. And in fact, you know, a lot of, because you've got, uh, again, this is from the outside looking in, but you've got so much free time when you're on the road and that can be incredibly destructive as well. When you put that with a personality that's creative and with a mind that's constantly going. And it is interesting that a lot of touring artists in music have found golf as a way to fill the time, keep their mind active and, and challenge them because golf is a game you can never master challenge them uh, on a, on a moment by moment basis when they play. Um, Glenn loved his times at the AT&T Pebble beach. He and his buddy Craig Stadler um, played it several times. Um, I think they, uh, they finished second once. Um, but it was, uh, it was, a you know, a religious experience for him and for me, we, you know, when we went up there, um, and then, you know, and now, you know, the newest Eagle Vince Gill, um, you know, basically chose music over trying to become a, a professional golfer. Uh, and, uh, it isn't the same, but, you know, but Vince is carrying on the Eagles tradition of, uh, um, 
playing golf while 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 on the road. You know, and Vince is uh, Vince is probably um, you know you know he's a scratch golfer and probably in the entertainment business, you know, as good as it gets out there. Uh, but you know, we've you know you mentioned that we we travel the world. We, you know, we've been fortunate because we travel so much to play uh, you know most of the greatest golf courses, uh, and it's. Uh, it's an amazing thing that that uh, and especially I have two two sons who basically took up golf before me, um, you know. And of course, I suck, and they're both scratch. Um, but it it it, uh, it you know it, it's an amazing bonding thing. Not you know for family, for business, uh, for social relationships. You know, you learn. You know, I always said my two kids. Um, you know, they were at Riviera Country Club being told to tuck their shirts in at the time that a bunch of their Beverly Hills brat friends were either shoplifting or selling pot in the malls. So uh, I credit <laughs> I credit golf with uh, it's an incredible you know learning experience and um, you know I know it, it just for all of us that are in the golf family um, you know you, the parallels it it draws to life and business are just you know you can't you can't match it. Is that what you love about the game? Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I also love the frustration that you know you can never win against yourself. <laughs> you're never happy, and you're never, uh, you know, you're always looking for that <clears throat> perfect, per- perfect hole, perfect round, perfect shot. You know, and it's 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 a it's a, a challenging thing. I will say, um, and you know, I just turned seventy years old. Um, but I, I will say that the, uh, the rogue clubs, when they showed up, um, were a delight for me. It, it, it absolutely made me a club longer. Um, and it, it, it felt like the ball was higher and softer too. So, you know, people, they, you know, these great golf companies can throw names on it and all that, but whatever, whatever Randy and the boys cooked up at Callaway, you know, and Harry <laughs> sold and, and, and how it happened, um, the, the, this rogue stuff really delivers. It makes a difference. It is interesting um, that when you, you, you come from a profession where having control seems so important, whether it's navigating an artist's career, helping them with their personal life or a business like you know record labels or Live Nation, and yet golf is something that no matter how good you are at it, you can never really control the game. You might have streets where you play well, but it's a game that no one can master. Well, here's here's a parallel for me. When, when you know, there's no one right path to a goal in the music business. You know, and and to me, it's similar to golf. I mean, we ba- I basically feel what can go wrong will go wrong, and then you got to figure a way around it. <laughs> so true. So true. What's your favorite course that you play? Oh my God! I got. What would be in that first tranche of courses? I I at least have ten or twelve in my top five. Um, But um, two of my buddies and I, Eddie Q and Jeff Yang, we do a father-son trip for a week every summer, and we just got back uh, and played. You know, every other year we kind of go over to we go to Ireland and we play in the uh, you know that father-son golf tournament in Waterville, and then this year we stayed. Excuse me. We stayed here in the U.S. Um, and we played some great, incredible golf courses that we haven't played. But look, um, Pine Valley, Augusta, Pebble, Cypress, Oakmont, National—I mean, 
just you know you you know the ones that should be there. You know Riviera, which I think is incredibly uh, underranked. Um, but there's also the the golf lifestyle. Um, I own houses at the at the, my friend Mike Melman's Discovery Golf Courses. If you um, you know I drag Jerry Tardy to uh, um, the Madison Club in La Quinta, um, which I think is the the best golf experience at any place I've ever been. Now, it also is called the Five Pound Round uh, because there's you know four restaurants and three comfort stations as you make your way around the round. But and an over, overall golf experience, you know, you, you've got those classic great things like the Pine Valleys and the Pebbles. But um, for where you want to live and play every day, you know, Discovery has some incredible golf courses. And uh, um, I'm at uh, El Dorado and in Cabo, Madison Club in uh, La Quinta, and uh, Gaza Ranch here in Coeur d'Alene. And these are just incredible experiences. It's a private golf experience, but anytime you can get on one of these discovery places, you, you, words can't describe, you know, how great the experience is between the, uh, uh, not just, not just. John McEnroe was the subject of one of our Rogue Moment podcasts, and it's fascinating to me that a guy who clearly, you know, has a, the occasional issue with his frustrations has turned to a sport that couldn't be more frustrating. But you had uh, some initial in- interactions with him uh, back in his heyday. Take, take, take us through that. Well, John, John is a longtime music friend and a close personal friend, um, going way, 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 way back. Um, and, and I will say that um, um, one of my favorite things to do is to take John out to play golf when he comes to L.A., and bring my youngest son, Cameron, who beats him by about 25 shots. Um, and that competitive thing that John has never <laughs> ends. Um, and he berates himself more on the golf course than I've ever seen him berate an, you know, an umpire at Wimbledon. It's a, it's a sight to behold. If you can get around to golf with John McEnroe, it's a comic event, and you don't want to miss it. But uh, go way, way, way back, I would guess, into, the, into his heyday. John lived in... You know, John lived in the East Coast, but he had a house in California, and he spent a lot of time at his place in Malibu. Um, in those days, he was hard charging, and he wasn't much for practice. So uh, I had a beautiful tennis court. I didn't play golf in those days. and We were all tennis players. I had a beautiful tennis court at my house that he would use for practice. I'd get a call sometimes, you know, right, right before he's leaving, saying, I don't have anybody to hit with. You've got to come be my human target. And he would, you know come over to the house and make me hit with him, and that would be his entire warm-up for a tournament. Um, so I convinced his father and him that instead of him wasting his time uh, during those practice weeks, we took him and whoever he wanted to play, and we booked arenas like we would a, a music act. Um, and he made a lot of money. We put him on a private jet, got him somebody to carry his bags, um, and he would go around the country and play these exhibitions and party with his friends. But we did John's exhibitions, and, and, and we actually went to cities that didn't get tennis tournaments and put them in these arenas. Um, but uh, John is a, you know, a big personality. Now he's obviously a great sportscaster, but still an incredible competitor and a shitty golfer. <laughs> he, he sort of alluded to that. He, he was talking about playing in celebrity events, and he said he gets so nervous that he's tempted to go with his nine iron off the tee because he knows he can hit that. He's afraid of what might happen with the driver. Well, but, it's uh, not Charles Barkley. <laughs> it's certainly not Charles Barkley, but uh, it, you know, 
with, with the great hand-eye coordination that tennis players have, you know, if you've ever seen Pete Sampras or Marty Fisher, one of those guys hit a golf ball, you know, John hasn't gotten there yet, but if he puts his time in, he's going to be good. I want to go back uh, to the to the Eagles in those early days because uh, I love the pictures of you. You know, we all change and we all mature and we all have different looks in, in different places in life. But I love the, you know, the, the, the styles back in the 70s. And, and so when you look back on, on those times, what, what are the things that make you smile? What was fun about that period? I'm going to assume a lot, but what, what are the things that specifically make you smile? Look, er, er, everything we did was fun, you know, and once Joe Walsh got in the, uh, got in the band, um, look, um, Don is, Don was the, and had to be the very kind of serious taskmaster to keep the train from running off the tracks. Um, Glenn was the James Dean kind of young rebel. Um, and Joe Walsh, you know, there's no words to say other than he was a juvenile delinquent, you know, and, and by the way, he's a juvenile delinquent, you know, well, you know, well past the age that anyone is, and it was hilarious. <laughs> okay, um, but you know, look, uh, yeah, you, 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 as you said, there's many temptations out on the road. You know, Joe Walsh never met a television in those days that wasn't thirsty. Um, you know, he used to pour water in the back of him. You know, while Johnny Carson was doing his monologue and say, "Johnny's thirsty tonight," the TV would explode, and he would say, "Well." TV's not working, so I, so I better get rid of it, and he would throw it out the window. But, um, you know, we just, uh, you know, words, words can't describe how much fun it was then. And, you know, other than we're all old and tired, it's, it's, it's really fulfilling and meaningful and fun out there now. Um, these Eagle shows, um, you know, with Deacon Fryglin's son and with Vince Gill and the band uh, are just spectacular. Uh, you know, and if you'd have told me that, We'd lose Glenn, and the band would go on like this. And you know, these have been the highest-grossing dates of their career. You know, and there's there's not many left. But if you get a chance to see it, you know, we got we got you know, I think about 16 shows left this year. But if you get a chance to see it, you don't want to miss it. So you're still running five companies. You're fully engaged. You've been doing this for a long time. How do you how do you think about the future, or do you just like you're just you know? Heading down the road and whatever life brings you, how do you view that? Well, you know, it, it's like um, it's fun. You know, if it if it stopped being fun, I guess I'd stop doing it. But it's really fun. You know, my uh, um, my oldest son Jeffrey, who's uh, 31 now, is a key executive at the business. So it's kind of turning into a family business. I'm hoping that uh, my young son will come in the business with us as well. My daughter's in a in a company close by. Um, so you know, it's it's it, it's fun, you know, and, and it's like I kept saying, you know, um, you know, for, you know, I have a bunch of key friends and clients, you know, what am I going to do, leave them? You know, so we do it, we do it because it's fun and it's, and it's still meaningful. Um, and, you know, there, there's lots to be done. You know, we're building um, one of our companies with my partner, Tim Lywicki, you know, we're about to go in the ground and build a new arena, and, you know, to redo the uh, key arena in Seattle for a, a new franchise hockey team. You know, those are exciting things. We're about to build an arena in New York at, at Belmont Racetrack for the New York Islanders to play in. Um, you know, these are they're big they're big challenges and they're 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 fun times. You know, my partner Jim Dolan at the Madison Square Garden Company is about to go in the ground in Las Vegas and London for these two huge new spheres that are going to redefine what a live performance venue is. So as long as there's challenges and there's fun, 
Um, and there's a little bit of time for uh, golf and family. Why not? This was fun. Thanks so much for doing this with us. It was uh, it was a real joy. Awesome. Uh, I hope we got some moments that uh, people want to hear about. Yeah. The legendary Irving Azoff, our guest on this edition of the Rogue Moment podcast, presented by Callaway. Thanks again, Irving. Thanks. Thanks.